with all the with all the stuff going on in the world, and we're being bombarded with news media reports of this happening and this happening, uh, it's a miracle that we can be lighthearted. We can't be lighthearted as long as we believe in, in the way that society wants to ingrain us uh, of being devoted to fear and attack, because it is the opposite of the gospel. It is the full hundred and eighty degree opposite of the gospel. It is like the human gospel. So repent and believe the good news means to turn from all of the fear and attack and embrace love and be lighthearted. That That's what it has to be, and until it is that, it's not genuine and bona fide. <laughs>
uh, worldview and no real opportunities for change because you're in this reciprocal narrowing and you're going down the drain. Okay, and this is this does not have to be the case. But what is interesting is Krishnamurti kept on describing this process and speaking against it. Mm-hmm. He kept telling, yeah. "Don't be overthinking. Don't be yeah. just thinking, thinking, thinking." Yeah, he he used the word observe. Yeah, he, he would say, you know, let's 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 observe this and see what we can, you know, what we can, uh, what comes to our mind if we observe it. But he and, knew that the, the whole process of overthinking was a distortion. It was well, producing distortion. I, if I remember right, he would use the word intelligence to describe the other. So you'd say right. that I'm uh, the, everything that we're talking about the ego operation of uh, the communication between right brain and left brain and all the behaviors, mis, mis, um, misbehaviors, if you want, that are going on, all the dysfunctional behavior is happening on this side. Mm-hmm. And, <clears throat> but on the other side is where intelligence resides. Okay, And he refers to that as other or intelligence. And so when he says, well, let's look at this and let's observe this and then be, have a moment of silence and allow us to connect with intelligence right. and connect with right. other so that we can then find the true meaning of this of the of it all right. we're not going to find the true meaning of this observation by operating within this space that we occupy we have to connect to other we have to connect to intelligence otherwise we're not going to know we're not going to have we don't contain the intelligence intelligence does not reside with us we're just observing now, how do you interpret what you observe uh, is, is going to be flawed because you don't have all the information, you have a lot of preconceived ideas, you have a lot of prejudices, so you have to empty yourself of all of that and connect with other, which is the source of intelligence. That's where intelligence is, and you're not going to be intelligent until you connect with other. That's, I think that's what Krishnamurti was all about in a nutshell. Am I wrong? I am not wrong at all, and the thing is that that is what steps to knowledge is about. Saying I'm going, to, I'm going to practice essentially the presence of God. I'm going to every day. I'm going to set aside time, and I'm going to host the presence of God, the awareness of God's presence and power with me. You know, right here and now. And as I learn to do that. I learn to then communicate with God Most High and receive the knowledge, receive God's knowledge into my being. And that, that's not unusual for me. That's what we're all here to do. Right. Yeah, well, once you understand that that's the process of, of, of you know, of, um, uh, what's the right word? Um, that's the optimal uh, condition for a human being to, to be, that's the optimal, um, you might call it spiritual homeostasis, right? That's the optimal conditions. I and think that any homeostasis is going to wind up being requiring this. Even physical homeostasis will not be able to go on without this. And we know this because of the polyvagal yeah. So if you're going to be in the safe place where you're no longer uh, fear an attack, you're no longer worried about some physical threat and you no longer feel like your body's you know the body dies the ego dies with it that terrible fear that the ego has that it's going to disappear from existence it wants to continue it wants to live another day no matter what (laughs) but that whole thing once you become mindful of it 
then you can recognize that that's operating, okay, that's an operation, but you can step back from a third-party perspective and say, okay, I see that operating, but now I'm just going to observe it, and I'm going to connect with other, I'm going to connect with intelligence, and be able to inform myself at the higher level, at the higher self, as to what the meaning of what's going on and what I'm observing, right. what's going on, without filtering everything through this right. ego fear. And you don't have to resist it, you don't have to judge it, you don't have mm-hmm. to feel guilty about it. It just You realize that it's running. You st- it's like a program yeah. that's running and you can't yeah. stop it, but yeah. it isn't yours and you don't have to embrace or endorse yeah. it. It's not, your, yeah, it's not who you are, it's not right. your identity. You can, you, can ha- you can observe it. And you become the observer. So, this is the whole premise of, of mindfulness, is it not? Isn't that what's going on when, when Buddhists talk about mindfulness and they practice mi- mindfulness? Or isn't this exactly what it is? Well, what you're doing with mindfulness, whether you're doing a walking practice or a sitting practice, is you're keeping the presence of the divine at the forefront of your mind. You're realizing that you're realizing the other. And, that, and, and to use the Christian term... Other is higher than you. Right. So that's kind of important. Yeah. Yeah. So, and the other has, um, is not just some force of intelligence the way Krishnamurti would describe it. He always referred to, he, he always took the religious aspects out of it. He would say, because he didn't really believe in God if you get right down to it. He didn't believe in God in terms of a theology of God. He didn't believe in that. He believed that there was other and he called it intelligence. Okay. And he didn't try to deify it. Um, but so whether you do it or whether you deify other or not, the important thing is to be able to put some space between your higher self and observe the the um, ego left brain activity for what it is. See it as um, now what the what the course would say about that is that is ultimate arrogance. That in in humility, you are definitely going to have to be in awe of the creator mm-hmm. of your creator. Mm-hmm. You have a duty to be in awe of your creator. Yeah, so, so Krishnamurti wasn't doing that. And, and I think that the Buddhist tradition of mindfulness is uh, very useful in the same way that Krishnamurti's teachings and talking was very useful to free the mind from its left brain, you know, egotistical, dominant, false authority BS that's going on all the time. But when you when you look at the tradition of the Buddhist practice and various other things that are tools for your awareness to become uh, higher and connect with higher self, they they seem to be like they don't have any divine, um, there's the divine uh, worship is not there. Why? Why is, why it's like so secular. Buddhism is like Buddhism without belief. That's what it is, it seems to me. And if they believe anything, it's like some kind of like silly, you know, idea. You know, they, they put their beliefs in like, you know, something silly, like a doesn't really make any sense at all it's just uh, trivial and so but why is it that this great tool of mindfulness has been uh, that that leads people to enlightenment we can't deny that people who've meditated for three years or whatever and they follow a practice and they get to the point of satori or uh, awakening and then boom they have this they they it's like crossing over. It's like they have a crossing over experience. You know, like they're beyond this world. They're able to see the vastness of of, of what Krishnamurti called intelligence, and they're in that space. And well, they, it's because it's within. It's within. It's within 
you mm-hmm. go within, and mm-hmm. if you become adept yeah. at, yeah. at going within, yeah. it's there. You will yeah. gradually uncover that it's yeah. there. So Buddha and, and other practitioners of meditation are really scientists that are exploring the inner world. Yeah. But they're exploring the inner world from a from a not from a kind of a clinical uh, almost um, um, almost clinical like professional like a non-theist kind of secular approach to exploring the inner world and then they reach that point of discovering that there is this other there is this intelligence out there and they want to get back to it and they because it's just this joy and peace and happiness that fills them and all that so they're practicing all this in a kind of clinical you get what i'm saying it's like there, there's no worship of god there it's just i'm going to have this experience kind of thing well, now is there gratitude? Well, I think that if you listen to is the there te- joy, yeah, yes. I mean, Buddhist. Is there visualization? Um, I don't know. Is there spiritual realization? I don't know. There's yeah. some of it, but not. But there's parts missing. It seems to me. You know, like the gratitude is there, um, and that's huge. That changes is there everything. Peace? There's peace there. Is there access to divine peace? The peace of God? I, well, I don't know how you would distinguish between someone who feels safe in their, their physical body and they feel safe and they're because versus you the peace of God. You distinguish it because peace and joy merge and lift and get and empower. The light-hearted. Right. Peace. So that... I do think that there is a light-hearted peace that is experienced by Buddhist meditation practitioners who experience a light-heartedness. But it seems to be um, clinical and divorced from any understanding of divine. They don't associate this enlightenment that they experience with God. No, they've intentionally jumped that step. Now, this is so interesting because ancient Egypt began with this step. Yeah. They insisted on it. Yeah, you would think that... They had, yeah. they had cities that were devoted uh, to... Each city was, like, specific to understanding. They'd sit around and contemplate, and, and, and they were practitioners of trying to understand this aspect of the divine. Yeah. In this town. Yeah. Over in this town, oh, they wow. were doing another aspect. Oh, really? Wow. Over in this town, so another the whole, aspect. So the whole tree, and you'd have cities that yes. were devoted to aspects oh, of, yes, the, of the tree. Absolutely. That's fascinating. Yeah. Wow. wow. That's why you had temples scattered around Kemet that were, you have the temple to Amen. Mm-hmm. You know, you, uh, you had various temples mm-hmm. scattered around, mm-hmm. which you had a set. Yeah, had Haru. Right. You know, you had. So these are all worship of the one true God, but the manifestations of different aspects of the divine. So you had cities that were. And why is this? Because as I have explained, there are many levels of godlike qualities that need to be downloaded by you and yeah. expressed yeah. to be yeah. a fully operating human being. Right. So we have a we have an operating system. In other words, the human being is, is designed in such a way that we can we can download this these programs. Well, they're that are, in us. We were made for this. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. But the problem is we have a we have 
this uh, subroutine, which we refer to as the ego, that's the left brain doing its survival thing. And because that becomes so dominant, um, there's a, there's a, we have a disconnect. Our internet connection to God has been disrupted because we do not have the bandwidth for downloading the divine. Well, we have the capacity in our body. We have the capacity, but there's this, there's this uh, connection to the divine that's been. The, the bandwidth is not what it should but be. But you have to look at why this happened. And there's you, a subroutine that's you causing it. You don't have it. to look very far. You don't have to look very far or very hard. It's like your computer happened. is stuck on this, uh, running this this uh, subroutine, and it's causing the whole computer to slow down. And that's the polyvagal thing talking well, about. All we have to do is look to the polyvagal to understand. Yeah. We are caught in... We have fallen into a... An extremely exaggerated consciousness of fear and attack. It's the operating system. Everything that we care about yeah. is a confirmation of yes. fear and attack. Right. That seems to be the operating system of the world we live in, isn't it? Would you say that? It is more so now than maybe it ever has been, it yeah. seems like. Yeah, me. I think so too. And so the, the, the thing is, um, this operating system... Um, can be turned off and we can download the divine elements of the divine and integrate that into our being. can't be turned off by us or abandoned or let go of. It's like an electric fence. We're scared to death. We can't let go. We will not let go until we feel safe. Well, part of it is that we are identified with this. This is we're identified with this operating system. It's who it's who we think we are. It's our we think that well, we think, and it, really, it's simulated thinking because know, the this divine is, is it's not thinking at all. It's not that, real thinking that help open our our awareness to this. But still, I. We are in a situation, we need to have a conscious, consciousness of security at baseline. I believe that this is the thing that the polyvagal theory really impresses on me, that I've seen, that is making the difference between whether the world can go forward into, a, into freedom, the freedom of true spirituality or not. Mm-hmm. If we can't let go of this horrible fear uh, that we're caught up in, and and the be- and the belief that it engenders, you know, of trusting attack, which then leads us back because the attack comes back on us, and yeah. cre- it creates our own, more insecurity for us. Yeah, it's a vicious cycle. Yeah, suffering. Yeah, so we have to get out of it. Yeah. We yeah. have to. We have to have a way out, and the only way that that can happen is if we receive the awareness and the conviction of, you know, God's grace and mercy and goodness being real to us here and now. Healing. And, well, the healing is going to come by the understanding that. God has never abandoned us. God has always met our needs, and God, we are, we deserve miracles. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, we are entitled to miracles. Okay, mm-hmm. this is absolutely true. If we say that a miracle is a shift of perception, 
away from, out of the fear, out of the feeling of, this horrible feeling of insecurity that has us in straitjackets. Right, with all the with all this stuff going on in the world, and we're being bombarded with news media reports of this happening and this happening, uh, it's a miracle that we can be lighthearted. Well, we can't, we can't be lighthearted as long as we believe in, in the way that society wants to ingrain us uh, of being devoted to fear and attack because it is the opposite of the gospel. It is the full 180 degree opposite of the gospel. It is like the human gospel. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, so repent and believe the good news means to turn from all of the fear and attack and embrace love and be lighthearted. Did I get it right? That, that's what it has to be, and until it is that, it's not genuine and bona fide, nor is it effective, nor is it lasting or eternal. Mm-hmm. Now, now, that's, I mean, I could, we could stop there because it's beautiful what you said, and I can accept it, and there's really no need to continue, but my left brain is doing this thing that it does, so I'm just going to put it out there. I'm really curious to know what your thoughts are on the secular approach of the Buddhist practitioners that meditate and reach Satori, reach this enlightenment, they, they connect with other, there's this intelligence out there, but they don't deify it. There is no deity for them, but yet they still experience the enlightenment. They still experience that, what we call enlightenment. And okay, and what is, what is the backbone of that? What is the essence of that? It is joining. Hmm. Okay, you don't have to say when you join. Now, you, have, you need to be in awe of your creator in order to desire to join with your creator that has, has willed that you do so. Okay, well, I hear because you. Because you want to say, I will to do the will of God. I will to do the will of God. Now, I hear you, and it makes perfect sense, and I think that it's wonderful um, for people who have been brought up with Christian um, dogmas and teaching to be able to present that to them and they're able to receive it and then implement it and integrate that into their thinking and their being. But what my point is that there's this other culture, Asian culture that has a different that are, has a philosophy that involves meditation and it leads to uh, enlightenment and at no point are they downloading the div- divine nature. So what, do we, what can we say about that? What is going on there? They seem to find peace and joy and happiness without any connection to the divine, even though they may be connecting to the divine and not fully aware of it. They just don't, it's just not in their vocabulary. It's, it's not, not in, their, in their vocabulary, but I, I, I mean, you read books by them, and clearly, you know, they are receiving attributes of the divine in their person, in their life. Well, who's the author? Uh, Pema Chodron, as I say? Pema Chodron. She's, Pema she's a, a Chodron. wonderful one. She's written Another many books. Another one is the book that you got me, which I, I is a jewel of a book. I can't remember his name. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's um, That's the the Spiritual Warrior book. Is that the one he talks about? Um, that He's from that group, yeah. Shang, uh, Shangri-La or whatever it is. Uh, 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 uh. I ran across it again. Shambhala. Shambhala. Yeah. I think he's got another book out, by the way. He's a wonderful, wonderful yeah. author. Yeah. I mean, he has wonderful things to say. Yes, both of them. Yeah, and, and Pema Children. I would say that very the, accessible. 
that they are um, true humanist is what I would call them because they 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 are presenting their understanding of the world and life in such a way that human beings can come into an optimal you know experience of life right but what I find so strange about that is that they are evolved spiritually beyond a lot of people who yeah. call themselves oh, yeah, Christians yeah. and call so. themselves being believers very in God. So. And these these believers in God are involved in all kinds of misbehavior and self-destruction and dysfunction and addiction and depression and on and on. And it's like the whole society of America is like that. They call themselves being a Christian and then there's all this nonsense going on. And then you find the Buddhists who don't even download the divine attributes, but yet they're able to become more highly evolved humanist and spiritual without even well, believing okay. anything. You have to realize that they're coming from a place of understanding God's compassion yeah. and mercy. Oh yeah, that's the big thing. Yeah. Yeah. So they get that. So they're bowing before God's compassion. Right. They're constantly having mantras yeah. and hours long of singing, mm -hmm. chanting, mm -hmm. About God's compassion, right? Well, that's about sharing and moving yeah, into yeah, yeah, yeah. a personal alignment yeah. with that Think compassion. Think of the, the polyvagal thing. Yeah. See, they're bringing the safety from through that Absolutely. process. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, hugely. yeah, yeah. So that it comes with hugely. that. That's compassion. Is it? I mean, compassion. Exercising these these yeah. the things that they do, the practices they do to 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 encourage compassion, is the best opposition to the. Uh, the fear and attack left brain a thing that wants to shut you down with the polyvagal thing. and so they haven't been shut down they have opened right, up right and although you don't As a hear them saying that they're in awe of God most high yet they are yeah they are yeah well they're shining the light and they're radiating it from because their heart because they're saying because okay, of compassion okay they're saying once again this uh, this an aspect of God mm -hmm. and, and the and the compassion aspect will take on a name depending on what country they're in and what part of Buddhism they're in. Mm -hmm. It will take on a name and a form and a it will be something that they visualize. Mm -hmm. Okay, so so this aspect of God is very, 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 very real to them yeah. and very immediate. Yeah. And I don't know of anybody even in the Christian church that will go and spend hours and hours in just the most with humility and with awe and in deep devotion to this aspect of God of compassion and just bow before that compassion hours every day. Wow. Yeah. And yet a huge number of people in the Orient do this. Yeah. They're not heathens when they are bowing before the compassion, yeah, and the mercy and the goodness of God, right, depending, right, on this for their life, yeah, and they're changing the world just and being a light to the world in this way uh, through this practice of compassion. That's like if that's their core value, right? And and what we are not talking about humanism when we're talking about the aspect of God that is compassion. Okay. We I, I are talking about a divine attribute. Yeah, so let's get that clear. Yeah, for sure. In their thinking, they this is not a a, a a humanist. This is not an element of humanism or of humanness. Not at all. 
Mm-hmm. This is seen as a deity from the Buddhist perspective. Yes. Okay, yes. that's new information for me because I'm just looking at it as an observer. Now, when we use the word deity in this, that doesn't mean one of many gods in polytheism. It can mean an aspect of God. You can refer to this aspect of deity uh, of deity as a deity. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this is misunderstood and there can be many aspects of deity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Facet multifaceted God is truly multifaceted. Right. That's well, all there is to like it. in African spirituality and those different cities that you talked about. Yeah. But it seems that the Buddhist tradition has focused on one the aspect of God or deity, if you will, and that is the compassion aspect. And from that, they then bring forth wisdom that well, we can all benefit one. from. There's another one which is quite fabulous, and this is done in tandem with the compassion aspect of God. And this is the healing aspect of God. Hmm. Hmm. And, uh, it's just absolutely profound when you put these together: healing and compassion, right. and mercy, right. and so, ki- loving kindness. Mm. These are sutras that they chant on and on endlessly, and they memorize and they right. know. Right. And it all has to do with the loving kindness of God. Yeah. So you don't hear them crowing about, oh, we're worshiping God, Allah, 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 at five o'clock in the morning, over the loudspeaker. Right. But that's because that's just not what they do. Right. They're, they're, you'll find them, you know, on their knees, or in the temple, you know, in their particular temple, doing the, the compassion mantra. Hmm. Yeah, they're stepping into being, would you say? Well, that, uh, I, I don't know. They they are already they're they're joining with being in their being all through their beingness to me. When whenever you are able to join with an aspect of God like compassion and mercy, you mm-hmm. are I mean I I I have access to these things on, on the uh they're readily available on YouTube. Mm-hmm. You can always hear these beautiful, beautiful, beautiful chantings and mm. beautiful music. Mm-hmm. You know, representing these the the name of that aspect of God from their point of view will vary depending whether you're in Vietnam or you're in, uh, you know, China or Thailand, or Tibet, where you are. Yeah. yeah. But uh, Quan Yin was probably the most common. Uh, name that comes to mind, most widely known of, Kuan Yin, mm-hmm. you know, was seen as this embodiment of the of the compassion aspect of God. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And when you recognize, see, now look at Kuan Yin, and look at. The Virgin Mary, and look at Aset. Hmm. You will see a continuity. There's a thread there mm-hmm. that is an assurance of the care 
and the love of God that permeates every aspect of being at every level all the time and holds all creation together in all times and places in one you know it's un, it's undergirding it mm-hmm. the unity of the creation now and what is happening in our part of the world is we will not bow to this hmm and actually it's quite interesting because we're saying we have access to the highest form of spiritual awareness in terms of Christianity and we have you know the cross and we have the gifts of God that have you know because of the savior and yet we are not now as interested in uh, as widely as in embodying the qualities of God most high as some other people are so we have to be very careful we have to be very humble and realizing that there we are not the only people in the world that desire the presence of God mm-hmm. hmm. it's very easy to judge other people and throw them in the trash And, the, and even the ones who love God right intensely we can we can just trash them because for whatever reason they're not uh, they may worship an aspect of God but we don't even recognize that as being valuable and because they're not engaged in the same um, dialectic that we are then they're just they but, just but, have no but value. look at this in terms of polyvagal and mm. realize that what they're understanding mm. oh, I know. is giving them a lift oh yes a foundation to, to yeah. bring the other bring all the attributes of God into their that's life that's right and where we're not doing it yes we're right. sorely in need of this that's right. and it's restricting our ability to, yes to uh, yes invoke godlike qualities well again I go back to the lightheartedness they have they have a tradition that invites lightheartedness and all the other attributes of God are available do we in Western culture with all of our traditions and practices and beliefs and preconceived ideas and prejudices and scientific view and reason and ration do we have a light heart no we do not okay. you can't while you are so absolutely overwhelmed with fear and attack if you cannot get to an understanding of the God's care and providence and mercy at baseline then you are not going to get any further What? mercy is one of the most important things to know about God yeah. okay mom tell us about mercy from your point of view what's the attribute of God that you identify as mercy and how do you describe it Well, I'm thinking that we don't want justice for everything because that would be we would be condemned but God in his mercy sent Jesus to be the sacrifice for us and he was compassionate to all these people that learned healing And it was through his mercy that we can have forgiveness. Okay. 
Okay, because I'm not understanding what mercy is. You know, you've, you've given it's me some theological explanation, but tell me how you, what you know and understand and experience about mercy. Dig deeper into it. Give me something that I can really understand. What is mercy? It's not a human thing, right? You're talking about a divine quality. God is merciful, right? Is that what you're saying? Yes. So you're just so I have a human idea of mercy, but you're saying that mercy is important, the aspect of God, but help me to understand why. What is the mercy of God that I don't understand in my natural sinful condition? Is it are you saying that in my natural sinful condition I want justice and I cry for justice? And then in doing that, I'm only condemning myself? We say, it's not fair. <laughs> right. And, and if we were considering real fairness, all of our sins would come up in front of us. Right. And what do we deserve for that? But instead of that, we got mercy. And we just can't, do that as completely as we want to because that's divine. He just has mercy beyond our belief, beyond our understanding because these attributes and these deeds that we've had are just impossible to forgive except if God forgives us. It's like we were talking about this morning with uh, repentance and then saying, depart in peace. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, depart in peace. I mean, and that's only possible because uh, there's a mercy that we can uh, um, connect with the divine mercy. And as you said, Mom, it's beyond belief. I heard those words come out of your mouth. <laughs> you said it's beyond belief. And that is the title of my book, Beyond Belief. Okay, and I think it's really important that we connect with the divine, but we're not going to do it with our own human concepts. We have to go beyond belief because that's where mercy is. Mercy is beyond belief. And mercy is one aspect of the divine. And there are many other aspects of the divine, but they're all beyond belief is now, what I'm saying. my take on this is, of course, different, a little bit different. And it's because I think that all of our insecurity is rooted and grounded in a belief, in a misbelief, a miseducation, you know, that, that sees separation as our relationship to ourself and God and others. We see ourselves as alienated and separate. And there are reasons why that is. And as long as that persists, we do not know peace. We do not know anything but conflict and littleness. So we have to get beyond separation by means of joining and sharing. The gospel is always talking about joining and sharing. You know, the, Jesus always talked about these things. But this is the mercy of God right here that we're talking about. Because it was God's will to 
have a creation that he would join and share with, and that he would call that creation unto him to join and share with him. And this is absolutely, to me, the heart of mercy itself. This want to fellowship with absolutely him. astonishing beyond belief. My favorite, one of my favorite quotations is, it is, he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or think. And we think we can think a lot, but he's able to do beyond that. We, we do think in a box. We think we think outside of the box, but we really don't get very far outside of the box. Our brain won't go very far outside of the box, Once so again, we don't know what's Mom, out there. you use the word beyond, and you said beyond what we can think. He can do beyond what we can think. That's what you said. That, again, is the title of my book, Beyond Belief. What is belief? It's what we think, okay? What we think we think. What we think we're thinking. We think it's our thoughts, Right? And, but really, it's a limited belief system that we're buying into. But God is always going to be bigger than that. We can make plans, and our plans fail, but we find out later that the way things worked out uh, were better than we had conceived originally. So this is an example of how the universe, you know, you have to have intentions. You have intention to go out into the world. Your intention is to do good or to, to you know, to be true and have integrity and be virtuous. And you, you have intentions to go out and accomplish things and whatever. But inevitably, your plans will fail. But the universe will reward you with your intention and unfold things that are more magnificent than you could have imagined. Right? This is how God operates in the world. And it happens to people who don't believe in him as well. It happens oh, to the, everyone. The rain falls on so, the just so, and the Right. So the thing about beyond belief is that you have to, to know God. And knowing God does not involve believing a propositional theology. You don't, that's not even a requirement. Okay? Because God is there, whether you believe in Him or not. You can call yourself being an atheist. You can think you were born, uh, evolved from a from some protoplasm in a, in a petri dish someplace. I don't know. I don't know what your belief is, but it doesn't matter because the divine experience of divine is beyond belief. No theology is going to get you there. Okay, this is theology is not the way. It is not the way. And if we think that it is, we're just making a judgment that separates us from other people. And once again, you're back into this believing in separation. And, and it also limits your ascension into the higher, the inculcation of the higher godlike qualities. Yeah. I think that's what people are trying to get to. Yes. When they say it's a relationship. Yes. Not a knowledge. Right. They're trying. The key word is trying. And, you know... George Lucas gave us Yoda, who said, "Don't try, do. You either do or you don't do." You know, and so this is the this is where I develop a philosophy of faithfulness because I say the title of the book is Beyond Belief, and we've established what that means. And then the second thing is a philosophy of faithfulness. Well, what is what is faithfulness? What is faithfulness? It's not the same thing as belief. That's what I'm saying. Okay, faithfulness involves you being engaged in the world. You could be faithful to a belief even if you were a a Mason in the Masonic Lodge. You could have a belief and be faithful to it. Right, but that's sincere 
sincerely wrong. Sometimes. You can be faithful to an ideology. You could be faithful to the Communist Manifesto. Sure, you can be faithful to any ideology or system or theology. It doesn't even have to be religious in nature. I could be, be Pelosi and have a democratic yeah. and a progressive and a whatever call it what anything stands, yeah. and and really believe in it. Yeah. But what I'm saying is if you have a philosophy of faithfulness and then you recognize that at level one structure, being faithful means that you're pursuing what is good and ultimately you're trying to get to an understanding of God because God is good. Okay, that's what God is. God is good. The word good and the word God are the same thing. Okay, so when you have, well, he's many things, but you know, when we say God, we're talking, gut. That's what it is in German. God, gut, that means good. It's the same thing. And we, when we say God, we're saying good. So, at the first level of structure, you're developing uh, an effort to to be to understand good virtue. And so you're trying to be respectful of other people. You're trying to coordinate your social abilities. You're interacting with people in a way that's harmonious. Trying to be able to to. Um, abide by certain cultural um, etiquettes, saying thank you to people, saying when you open the door. All of these things create a conducive environment for uh, being in society, and we call that being good. So there's good, and there's true, and there's beautiful. Good, true, and beautiful. And these, in my, in my uh, philosophy, these represent levels of spiritual awareness. So we start with being good. That means respecting yourself and others. It means being a good citizen, having good citizenship, being able to practice the etiquette of saying thank you and all of this. This is the basic where you start, respecting yourself and respecting others. That's where it is, okay? And that's what that's the base level of understanding what it means to be good. Now the problem is that soon becomes corrupted because you start to engage in separation thinking and you think I'm good and they're bad. Okay? And you're being told this by the news media whatever. Oh, those people over there in that other country are bad. We need to go to war with them. We need to bomb them. They're bad, but we're good. Okay? So this is the problem that virtue when you pursue virtue and you like a, a stoic philosophy of wanting to have virtue the problem is the danger is you can become self-righteous and and step into this idea of separation and you can start to attack people and this fear and attack goes on so this is what's going on at the we, good we level we literally had a president of the United States that figured that he was good he was good he knew what goodness was and he said about a group of people, he says the only good one is a dead one. Mm. Those were his words. Mm-hmm. And so this is what happens, and so you see it at the. Jesus said, "No one is good except God." Right. When someone accused him of being good, he he said, "Hold on, wait a minute. What did you just say? You called me good. Why would you call me good?" He asked the question, "Why do you call me good?" He wasn't denying that it was true. He was simply asking the question, why do you call me good? And it's a good question. But at what point from this moment in the gospel, how far away is it where he says, I and my father are one? And he's pointing to God the Father as the one who is good. But he's also realizing that He's in unity with yes, the divine. Yes. And so when you come into that communion relationship... So we're not saying that it's yeah, our good. Right, 
Right. Saying that it's God's good. The yeah, creator again, is the good. And that's why he responded the way he did. He said, why do you call me good? He's not denying that he has the connection with the Father, but and he may not be preaching that yet. This might be the first year of his ministry, and then the last year of his ministry, he kind of reveals a lot of this stuff. But in the early stages, people are coming to him for healing, and they said, good teacher. And he said, wait, hold on, wait a minute. What did you say? You're calling me good? Why? Why do you think I'm good? And, and that's a, this is a good seeing, question. He, he's inviting people to see that he's mirroring the God-like qualities. And that he is good. Well, he, he wants because you to know why. So he's asking the question, why do you say that I'm good? Now, why did he ask the question? Because he wants the guy to think about the answer. And, and now, if a person said that now, we'd say... Okay, you think I'm good, and then you're going to see it as being humanism. You're going to see that, oh, certain people are good, but we have to understand that there is not within humanism the goodness that is the goodness of God. It's Christ's righteousness. Right, and Christ's vision, Christ's everything. Christ only, and Christ is everything. That's why we have to understand that we are not the creator. And we are not the one that will embody the godlike qualities on our own, independently believing that we're in separation. It isn't going to happen. It never has, and no, it never will. No, no, we have to be a conduit for the Holy Spirit to to reside in, and that's why Jesus is our example. You know, you see him at the baptism, and the dove comes down, and the sky opens, and the Father says, "This is my Son, in whom I'm well pleased." Okay, that needs to be you, and that needs to be me. We need to be a vessel for the Holy Spirit, for the dove to come down and for the sky to open and for the Father to say, that is my son who I'm well pleased. That is my daughter who I'm well pleased. Jesus is our example of what we should be. And how do you become like him? It's not going to be through separation, judgment, thinking. It's going to be to reverse that process, appreciate the mercy of Christ, that his life was given in sacrifice so that we could enter into a new covenant where no longer are we judged by the law. We are free. And do you believe that applies to everyone without separation? Or is it just for the believers in Christ? Is it just for the Christians? Or is it for everyone? Because I would maintain that it is for everyone. Okay, Whether they recognize it or not, whether they acknowledge it or not, whether they worship accordingly or not, it's for everyone. Everyone is now in a new covenant. The new covenant covers everyone. Jesus died for the whole world, not just for people who believe in him. Okay? So we're in this process of coming into faith. You might not have faith today, but you're still covered by the covenant. Until you recognize that you are free, then you're just hurting yourself. You're just creating hell on your own thought process, with your own negative thinking, with your own reciprocal narrowing, with your own, you're creating a depression and addiction and dysfunction. Why? Because of what you think, because of what you believe. All right? We need to go beyond belief that's causing separation from the divine and step in to a philosophy of faithfulness recognize that we are in a new covenant we are no longer being judged by the law and that means everyone not just the Jew but the Gentile too everyone okay we need to be aware first of all that our thoughts our belief in separation is causing our fear and causing us to be straight-jacketed mm-hmm. by fear and attack mm-hmm. that limits us and pulls us down mm-hmm. 
into the uh, maelstrom of limitation, increasing limitation, so that we're further and further from the light as we continue to believe and insist on separation. And that's why I originally started writing my book. I called it Beyond Theology because I'm saying that the New Covenant is covering everyone. The blood of Christ covers everyone, whether you believe it or not. Now, you need to believe it because that's going to transform your life and make you a lot happier and put you into a relationship with God that's going to be eternal bliss. Okay, that, that awaits you. But what stands in the way is your free will belief in things that are false, that are holding you back. Separation. That's the problem. Okay? The work has been done. The grace... The work of mercy on the cross, that's been done once and for all for all humanity. The question now is who's going to receive it? Who's going to step into it? Who's going to live accordingly? And I'm telling you that belief and theology is not the solution. All it does is create separation between you and other people. I'm a Christian, you're not. How is that making the world a better place? It is not. It is creating the problems we have today where you have a president saying the only good, uh, you know, tal hit is a dead tal hit or whatever. And that comes from a born-again Christian. See the, see the problem here? When you think your theology makes you uh, saved and everyone else is lost, I'm sorry, but Jesus died for the whole world. The covenant is covering everyone, whether they believe it or not. They just need to step into it. The, it's readily available. Is, when Jesus began his ministry, he read from Isaiah, and he says, I have come to open the prison doors. Mm -hmm. But... The thing is, how many since then are walking out? Yeah, we are remaining in the prison. Yeah, the doors know, are open. That's what I'm saying. Mind. The fact Jesus' death and burial and resurrection, the new covenant at the point when the temple of Jerusalem was destroyed, the old covenant is gone. God has divorced Himself from the uh, Israel, and His new lover that He wants to spend time with and enjoy is every human being on the planet. Okay, the new covenant covers us all, and we can enter into the divine uh, love and uh, by various means. We can appreciate one aspect of God, which is compassion, and that opens the way, or we can appreciate a different aspect of God and enter into well, the divine... Well, it is salutary. That. By the way, this is what happened in Kemet. This is, where did they start? Aset. Where does the Catholic Church, historically, through the Middle Mother, Ages... Mother Mary. It, yeah. Yeah. This is the foundational awareness so that you can open yeah. to, you know, understand more about God and deepen, deepen your understanding and inculcate, you know, invoke the qualities of God through the fruits of the Spirit into your own beingness as, you, as it's expressed on this side mm -hmm. and as certainly as it is on the other side so that you're merging with who you really are, mm -hmm. you know, and... The, the, the first thing that really, that's why they start with compassion and yeah, not another quality it's a good of place God. To start. You wouldn't start in the middle or at the top. You would start where you need to have a foundation to build upon. And right. That's exactly what has happened. Right. So I think that, you know, this, uh, and that relates to the polyvagal thing because with compassion, comes gratitude and openness and lightheartedness. And now you're in a position where you can radiate the love of God, uh, the light of God that to others. That happens progressively as you move up, inculcating right. more and more of the God-like qualities right. at higher and higher levels. Right. But, but if you, you can't, don't you accept can't do him, that. you're still... Jesus died for you whether you accept him or not. Mom. Still, would you agree that Jesus died for the sins of the world? Yes. 
and that he died whether you believe in him or not that his grace is available whether you accept it or not yes but it, so what good why what good does okay but what good does all the theology that has been created over 2000 years by the catholic church and the protestants all of these things that you uh, believe are being tacked on to believing in Christ. So it's not just enough that you say, I accept God's grace and mercy. You have to believe that Jesus was born of a virgin. You have to believe that he died and buried and was resurrected on the third day. You have to believe that the Bible is literally true. You have to believe in rapture and you have to believe in revelation. You have to believe in all of this stuff or you can't be in our church and you're not really saved. Your baptism is invalid. There's, <laughs> there's a problem well, here. Some will say that. Some will just go miles down the road with all of this particular yeah look so, at the look at the uh, <clears throat> you said their name today and Jehovah's Witness yeah, yeah yeah Jehovah's Witness yeah they're really strict they're really strict okay and so I call that structure because they're trying to be good and I don't fault people for that all I'm saying is that's level one of spiritual awareness and everybody needs that that just like we need to say thank you and excuse me and be polite in order to function in society, we need a structure for, that teaches people to be good. But we also need to graduate beyond that. We need to rise up in our spiritual awareness because if we don't, then we're operate, we, we succumb to separation thinking that I'm good and they're bad. Okay. So as you rise up above this theology kind of mentality and you get into this next level is what I call skepticism and skepticism is now starting to doubt and to question the structure that they came out of and they're saying well I don't know if I really need to believe in this or this this or that or if you know, I even can or, or if I care you know I just like I'm just gonna free myself from that slavery that in bond, that in that bondage of, of requiring me to believe in this and that and behave a certain way and you know I'm not going to worry about good anymore screw good good didn't do me any good is what they say and so then they go into the skeptic phase having rejected goodness and and rejected god and their whole and, life may go in the ditch for a while as a result or maybe not they they become a skeptic and now as a skeptic their uh their their core value is what is true and these people are uh, concerned. But they don't know what truth really is. No, well, they're so. operating within the physical world trying to figure out what truth is. They have no spiritual uh, understanding at all. They've rejected all that. And so now what they're interested in is politics and the environment. And so they become faithful to these ideologies of let's make the let's save the world from global warming let's save the world from this let's save the world from that and, and it's this may be as far as they get because you know the idea here is you do not look outside yourself you go within for to find truth so if they may not get past in this life oh yeah they may it's get hard stuck right oh people look some people like some people when they are, are born into skepticism because their parents were skeptics yeah. and they never yeah. had a belief right. under right. under that and they don't understand it they don't feel that they need it okay because the, the what draws people into structure is chaos and a lot of people who are in the skeptic level are not, are functioning quite well. There's not a chaos in their life. They're they're going to college. Mom and dad are paying for it. They got a new car. There's not a lot of chaos in their life. They're able to manage things quite well, and they're very happy. The life is good. You know, maybe they get a DUI, and that's what causes a little chaos in their life for a time. But dad got the lawyer, and they got off the hook, and they they managed to to you know the judge says he's going to uh, redact the 
DUI after six months if he doesn't get in trouble. And so he's grateful for a dad and his money, and he, and he goes back to having a happy life with his girlfriend. And then he gets a great paying job. There's not a lot of chaos going on here, okay? They're, they're, they've, they, they, they're, they're well, there structure might not of skeptics. From your point of view, but there is from his, because if you interview him, you'll, <laughs> he'll, he'll have a lot of complaints and oh. a lot of bitterness and say he's oh, not yeah. happy. Well, that's it's because he's he's still in the fear and attack. And he doesn't feel safe. Right. There's still the fear and attack right. uh, mentality. He's just graduated from. He's rejected good and structure, or and and or seen it and said, "I don't need it." I'm um, so I'm just going to operate here, like mom and dad, at the skeptic level. But and I believe still in science. In the and separation, so yeah. he's saying, yeah. "I can do this. Yeah. I can actually make it work." Yeah. Which, yes. which is a naive assumption that he's going to find that the world is going to show him the hard way that it's not true. He, he, if he lasts that long. If he lasts that long. That's the problem with people who are born into structure and live in structures that they are just really stuck in that and they can't see their way out because they don't have any intention or motive to move down into this level which is promoting goodness, they don't see the value in it because there's no chaos in their life that's driving them into it. Now, if there was some chaos in their life, they might step into the lower level of spiritual structure for a time and experience what it means well, to be a Christian for a time. there is the chaos of fear and attack, but, then, but they have become completely immune to it. They accept that mm-hmm. as They've a made condition peace, of yeah. life, right. of living. Right. And, and, and that's easy to do when you're in Western culture because Western problems are so different than problems of the rest of the world. You know, what the rest of the world, the problem is how do I get clean drinking water? Well, what's a problem in Western culture? How do I open my uh, pill case? I can't get the lid off, right? So, I mean, it's very different in terms of what we identify as a problem or, you know, what causes chaos in our lives or whatever. We, you know, we're dealing with problems like a hangnail. That's a problem. Oh, my God, my, my finger hurts. Oh, Okay, while somebody else is doing leprosy in India. Oh, really? Totally. Okay, so now there's like a big difference here, all right? But but in this world that we live in here in the United States, people are operating at the good level. There's good people. They go to church. They're very good people. My mom is one of them. She's beautiful and good, and that's wonderful. She's a light to the world. Then you have people who step up to this next level, and they reject all that. I don't need church. I don't need God. Because I have money, and I went to college, and I got an education, and I'm going to get a good job, and all of this. So they operate at the unbelieving stage, but that's still a structure in itself, because the scientific reasoning thinking is very uh, uh, like a religion in a sort, because there's there's certain tenets that have to be believed, and it's like unspoken taboos, and all of this. And so they're operating within a uh, this uh, appears to be a higher spiritual awareness, but really, it's a it's the, a, it's a religion of its. It However, is. it doesn't even qualify for Psalm one about a tree planted, you know, uh-huh. in in a, a wet place in a, in a fertile ground where it can flourish. It doesn't even have that because yeah, it's empty. Yeah, it's really void of meaning, and that's why we have a meaning crisis. So many people they go to the psychiatrist and they have problems that they complain about and they, they they need to get some kind of medication you know they need to be put on Prozac because they're depressed and you look at their life and you say my goodness your life is so much better than other people in the world and those other people who are suffering let's say a leper or whatever that person can experience peace and joy and happiness but you can't driving your new car 
I mean, what is wrong here? Well, what's wrong is that this higher evolved religion of secular humanism or uh, postmodernism or whatever the blue church has created for us, if people who operate within that space, they are not uh, connecting with the divine. And so they experience this meaning crisis. They know something's missing, they, but they don't know what it is. But they fill it with drugs and alcohol and sex and everything and, and else. What is the word that I, I said with the this person who's so full of themselves what is that today I talked about a narcissist narcissist yeah so these people can be narcissists well this is interesting that you said that because if we look at the good and the true and we identify these as spiritual levels of awareness then at the good level you have the saint my mom is a saint she's a saint we're at this, uh, uh, and that's a biblical word for a Christian, by the way, so don't yeah. take offense. You know, it used to be disciple before Jesus was the death, burial, and resurrection, but then after it became ecclesia in the church and they became saints. They called themselves saints. They didn't call themselves disciples anymore. Something changed, and what changed was the Holy Spirit came to reside with them. As a disciple, you're kind of on the outside looking in. But once you once the Holy Spirit comes to reside within you now, you're not identified as a disciple or a learner or a student or a pupil. Now you become a saint. Okay, but why? Because the divine is in you and working through you and shining. Yeah, of course. So you have the good level, right? And we could say that this is the saints at the good level. And then as you go up, then there's this this neo uh, Platonist kind of like philosophy of uh, a postmodern kind of like um, you know humanism and secular humanism and skepticism and the value the core value is true and people at this level then are wouldn't be described as saints they'd be more on the and, and kind of moving towards narcissism and yet they have the conceit as a narcissist that they look at the matrix like the movie mm -hmm. Matrix. Mm -hmm. They see that the matrix that underpins mm -hmm. society, and they say, "I see through that. I'm awakening yeah. to see through yeah. all that's false." Right. But they cannot yet see that they're false. Right. In all of their life and doings. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's just a stage. Um, it's like going from the dream world back into reality so people at the skeptic level think that they're in reality and they think that the saint is operating in a dream world of illusion when it's actually more the reverse a while ago you gave three levels one yeah. of them was beautiful yeah i don't talk yeah. about that i you talk don't, i don't talk you about don't go that. on to that one I, I say that it's there but i need you to discover and find that for yourself because i can't if I, not, no words are going to do any good good night good night yeah, it's like Buddha waking up. I mean, he sat there in silence because he couldn't describe the beautiful, could he? He couldn't bring beautiful to people. All he could bring was well, a... Well, there's a wisdom in that, yeah. in knowing that, uh, you know, that has to come as revelation. That has to come within. Yeah. You have to have an experiencing of it. Yeah. And nobody can just drop it on you because yeah. of your skepticism and your ambivalence. Right. And your fear. Right. Yeah, you have to open to the beautiful. I mean, if you don't want to enjoy the taste of food, you you will just gobble it up real quick and move on. And it's just the way it's charging your battery. Food is just a battery to keep your body going. 
okay if you don't appreciate music then you can turn off the radio and just drive in silence because you'd rather be you know in a discursive thought and enjoy your own um, thinking process um, so you know you don't want to be distracted from what you think is true you know the true right because you're so you value what is true you value being virtuous I must be virtuous I must do the work of being virtuous and all of this is a dead end because it, it, it only creates more separation and judgment of others and yourself and you're not getting anywhere you're just spinning your wheels as much as you try even though you may be aware that there's a problem but you just can't find a way out because you can't accomplish anything on your own through this mental process of trying to solve the problem because that is where the problem resides so the only well, opening the, the gospel had told you that but you had, had over that's in what went out with the baby in the bathwater mm-hmm. uh, at some point, though, you do start to say, okay, I'm going to let this go. And at that point, I'm going to stop trying to hold up my theology and believe that this is what holds the sky up. And when you let go of your, your dogmatic thinking, whatever it is, whether it be dogmatic belief or dogmatic unbelief, when you start to, when you ask the question, what if everything I believe is wrong? Okay, and your response to that is, okay, let me sit with this for a moment, and, 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 and what would the world be like if everything I believe is wrong? How would that change my perceptions of the world? And you sit with that for a minute, and all of a sudden, well, you hear birds singing that you didn't hear before. There's got to be All of a sudden, you're opening to the beautiful. There's got to be some sudden, insight before you open to the beautiful. And that is, if you realize that all of your perceptions are wrong, everything you know is wrong, you have to question whether you're able to perceive accurately and adequately. And I believe that you are not, and that you must realize that you are not. And it is through the realization that you cannot sort this, you cannot fix this, you have to join. And truth is in joining, and truth is shared, and truth is community, and truth is all of creation, and truth is the creator. So you have, at that point, you have to be able to depart in peace, forgiving, you know, all of your attempts to look in the wrong places for love. Yeah, so... We've been instructed in uh, religious practice, whether you be Buddhist or Christian or whatever you might be, there's traditions that have been presented to you, and you, you learn this as a child, and it becomes more meaningful as you're an adult, hopefully. And at some point, you return to it, and you say, these, these, these traditions, uh, rituals, or whatever, are ways that if I were to practice them faithfully, then it would uh, afford me the opportunity to move beyond my belief and actually connect with the divine and experience beauty and so what you're saying is that it's not you doing it it's it's through this process uh, that you experience it and the process itself is a way of uh, stepping out of the uh, the human ego um, identity that's false and being able to then open and receive a communication with the divine and that way the truth can be downloaded the intelligence of the divine can be downloaded and you can receive it and part of receiving is the sense of peace and joy and happiness and lightheartedness so that can be arrived at through various different religious traditions and practices I think that for a lot of people you have to work through 
You have to literally work out your salvation. You have to work through these phases. And there are times that we're eaten by the locusts in certain ways, and yet you say at the end of it, I am grateful for every step that brought me to where I am, because Mm -hmm. finally you do embrace Mm -hmm. Christ consciousness as your higher self, as your own. Mm -hmm. Christ is my own. My Savior is my own. You know, my own heart. You know, and this is the opposite this is profound. The opposite of that is this need for validation, this need for approval from society and other people that you're doing the right thing. You want to be patted on the head as a good boy. Okay? That is the that is what holds people back because they're operating in that space and trying to, you know, get validation. And so they're never able to then step into this They other... don't have a they don't perceive a need for it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, well, the two things are, are seem to me like uh, so different because, like, you know, what you're describing is not validation in any way. But people who do seek validation, which is every human being on the planet, in my opinion, is going to be unable to get to that space that you're describing because validation and needing validation is a total ego trip that's never satisfied. And, you know, you have to forgive. God that it's not going to be it's not going to work the way you right now think that you want it to work so you have to forgive God for creating a world in which it isn't designed the way that you would like it to be if if it if you were to look at what you think right now according to that and then you have to forgive yourself for not having been able to solve it and fix it and find the truth and you know, have wisdom and have knowledge and inculcate all of the divine qualities. You haven't done it. You haven't worked on it. And you have to forgive all of this. You have to forgive all other people for the times when you thought that they didn't love you and they didn't trust you and you couldn't trust them and you couldn't love them and etc. You have to put all that by. Realize that this goes in the circular file. This absolutely is going to be burned, whether I burn it here and now, or whether it's burned when I cross over. Mm-hmm. It's gone. Yeah, but it's 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 not eternal, and it will be burned. It will be consumed. And when you had the experience of crossing over on the other side, and when you had that experience, when you found yourself there on the other side, it must have been quite a shock to realize that all of this false authority and... Uh, other people's need for validation and bullshit and everything that's heavy weight that people carry around was just not there. I responded to it with a certain kind of curiosity rather than a than an alarm. I wasn't alarmed. I was very surprised mm-hmm. and I was very curious. Mm-hmm. But there was one thing in front of me that got my attention, so I couldn't dwell on it. Okay, and that was the presence of God. Right. It was like a huge magnet that seemed to draw me. And I realized, without doubt, I realized with tremendous certainty that this was all I had ever wanted, Mm. that this was all I could ever have. Right, right. You know, and it was way beyond anything that I ever dreamed of having. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Mm. And then you, you say, okay, the world is gone. 
but I don't need it, and I don't really want it. This is what I need and what I want, and it's right in front of me, and it's available, and it's yeah. offered, and it's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. And this is the cause for it. It draws you to it. Oh, this is yeah. the celebration yeah. of, of beingness and of yeah. goodness and of life. Yeah. Joy, joy in the morning. Joy comes in the morning. The Bible says, "Here it is. That's it. That's it. The arrival of joy in your heart and your awareness." It's absolutely staggering. Mm. Yeah, that's the experience of crossing over, even for a while, and coming back. It's like you experience joy, surprise. You find out that、uh, all the things that you thought were problems are not even there. All the things that you thought you wanted, you never did. And all the things that you thought were beyond reach are right in front of you.、Hmm. It's、wow. absolutely astonishing. That's all. That's amazing. But、um, I'm so glad that you had that experience that you could come back and share it, because people need to hear it. Because I think that you know, just being able to hear that story, to hear you describe it, and to connect that with everything else that we've talked about, is giving people.、Um, A new perspective on their own condition and how to move forward, how to let go, how to relinquish, how to change their mind, how to embrace and engender love, step into that safe place, you know,、uh, uh, turn off the fear and be able to be vulnerable, to be open, and to be receptive and allow themselves to become the vessel for the Holy Spirit to manifest love through to, and change the world. And this is what. We're talking about, and if somebody doesn't have the vision that you've been able to then articulate from your experience of crossing over and integrating all of these thoughts that we've had, if they don't, are there? If that, if that picture is not presented to someone, then they're left in their reciprocal narrowing. But by being able to hear your story, by being able to share in that vision, to be able to have a vision, to imagine this, and to. To hear it and to a picture painting before them, I believe that that can cause reciprocal opening, and that people can then start to turn and go the other direction and to wind up towards the divine, to be no longer outbound from heaven, but to become inbound, to not see it as a fear that they're going to lose their identity, like the ego fear. But to be able to say that I'm going to find my identity, I'm going to find my true self. I'm going to rejoin my life now in progress. Right. And so this is the experience you had of crossing over. You didn't merge with some god and lose your identity. Quite you the know, contrary. I have very little patience with that idea. I know some people are really convinced and really afraid that you know this is a legitimate fear. But I don't personally have any patience with it because of the joy that I experienced in having. God, willing to include and receive and accept and empower me fully, without, without, ever any anything except a hundred thousand percent positive, and it wasn't at my loss. It wasn't going to be anything but gain. Okay, so I I don't have patience with looking at. Receiving 
Christ consciousness as my higher self, as a loss or something that's going to cause me not to exist. It's true that the fear self, the lizard brain self, is going to go away. Your personas that you create for this world, you can't, you can't, you don't have the power to make them eternal. They are not eternal. They are going to pass away. Yeah, so any ego attachment... You can feel bad about that right now if you want to, but you Mm. should not feel bad about Mm. joining with your eternal self. Right. Your higher self. That is not something to fear. That is not something to regret. But I had an earlier statement a few days ago when we recorded that, you know, I didn't understand... You know, we have to be vulnerable in our unconditional loving as we move into, you know, invoking the higher qualities of God and living love, we need to be, that loving is vulnerable and we need to to resolve this conflict of being, you know, able to be vulnerable. And then I realized today that in Christ, when we move into joining and into sharing, one aspect of God that is shared is his invulnerability. And so we are truly, eternally invulnerable. And it is that invulnerability that we are drawing upon to then, in, in the physical... Right, to be vulnerable. To be in the vulnerable, to we take can, on vulnerability. Yes, 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 that's beautifully said. And I've thought that myself many times. I just never articulated it the way you did. I think that's beautiful. Let me repeat that. So what I hear you saying is that when it, when we understand our invulnerability in terms of our eternal being that is going to, it, that it, our, when we cross over, that's what's going to be there. All of the rest of it is burned away. It's lost. It's gone. It's irrelevant. It's, we forget it probably soon enough. And God riddance. But the essence of us, who we are, is not vulnerable. It's going to continue. All right. The part of us that appreciates beauty, that's the part of us that will be eternally uh, present. Okay. As we, as we move beyond the physical, we still appreciate beauty. There's still curiosity. There's still beauty, appreciation. That part of us is eternal. But when, we, and when you know that, when you have that confidence, of that knowledge, then in this world where we do experience vulnerability, people can steal our money, people can beat us up, people can throw us, we can we can make mistakes that hurt us, <coughs> we can end up in the ditch <coughs> in so many ways, but ultimately, eternally, we're not vulnerable, no matter what. Okay, it's like the Buddhist monk when in China in Tibet when the Chinese military took over Tibet, they came and the the Chinese. Uh, soldier put a put a sword to the to the priest's stomach, and he says, "You don't. Do you know I can run this through your gut and kill you? And the, do you know who I am?" And the the priest responded, "Do you know who I am? I would let you." And there are there are many instances where <laughs> living in the physical, where we need to display vulnerability. But we aren't truly vulnerable. Right, right, right. Well, it's like the priest right there. He's saying to this militant soldier, you don't know who I am. 
I would let you run that spirit through me. Why? Because I'm willing to be vulnerable in this world. Why? Because I know I'm not vulnerable in the eternal. And and yet, in the attunement to compassion, the quality of God, of compassion and mercy, we know that we need to express these godlike qualities of compassion and mercy toward our fellow being and shine them into the world, these, these qualities. So, for us to do that, we have to have moments of seeming to be vulnerable, uh, because to us it's profound, but to an onlooker who knows none of these things, it's fool's wisdom. It seems utterly foolish to them. <laughs> right. We seem to be a novice, we seem to be a nitwit, idiot, and, you know, it, it's it's always been that way. Yes, but I think, you know, it's, it's a simple proposition to be able to do a self-check and ask yourself this question. Do I feel lighthearted at this moment? And if the answer is no, then the problem is you are stuck in believing something that isn't true. You need to identify what it is you believe that isn't true and let it go. And when you do that, you can experience this lightheartedness where you now are you're open to receiving beauty. And if you're not lighthearted and open to receiving beauty, something is wrong in your relationship to God and your polyvagal nerve is letting you know you are not in the optimal condition something is not right and you need to you do a self-check am i lighthearted or am i not lighthearted this is it because otherwise you're tossing yourself to the crocodiles you're in your 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 life is in chaos and you're going to get chewed up and spit out okay and there won't be anything left of you Okay, so if you want to truly engage in spiritual activity, then the self-check is what you do. Am I lighthearted? If I'm not, fix it. Resolve that problem. Become lighthearted. Open yourself to beauty. Step into being. Okay, stop with this discursive thought about good and true and all the rest of it. It's just separation. It's judging other people and separating you from them. That's just not going to bring lightheartedness to you. It's not going to work. It never will. You're, you're going to have to train your mind to understand unconditional love. And you do this through the practice of forgiveness, which is a participatory exercise of loving and becoming vulnerable, taking on vulnerability and loving to say, I will let my grievances go. I will cast them aside. I will put them on the altar as lilies of forgiveness. I will accept in their stead the peace of God and the power to lift all of my brothers and sisters toward heaven. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't expect that we were going to have this conversation. It was all spontaneous, but very good stuff. Very beautiful. Thank you, Meryl. Amen.